can't call me a screw-up if you don't let me try things my way. My name is Matthew Kroll. And I am a warrior. My name is Shai Herdowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Onward. Uh, for the longest time, I've thought there should be an S at the end of this title. I don't know why. I'm sticking to it, though. I think there should be an S at the end of this. Well, for the longest time, I thought your name was pronounced uh, Shahir, but you oh. just did it the normal, your, your correct way. Did I did I do that? Yeah. Did I? Okay. okay. Uh, that is. Uh, have I? And I've never done that before on the podcast. Not in the intro. You've mentioned the pronunciation before in passing <laughs> and in conversation, but never hath the the correct pronunciation slipped uh, uh, twixt your lips when oh, saying I, your I, film. Maybe quote. I should get tested. Maybe I should get tested for coronavirus. Things are slipping here. Things are getting weird in my house. Um, no. <laughs> I. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure. I, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I. My. I. I slip in and out of de- the pronunci- pronunciation of my name depending on who I'm talking to. Uh, for some reason, when I, I I grew up in Fiji, and when I moved to New Zealand, uh, people couldn't pronounce my name as Shy Hair. And I always say it's just the word Shy and then Hair. Uh, but for some reason, they would always call it Sha instead of Shy and Hair instead of Hair. I'm not sure why that happened, but I just kind of went. I just went Shire? with it. Yeah, Shahir. Well, you know, people would say Shahir, right. but it's Shai Hair. Shai Hair. Yeah. Like, yeah, as in as in Frodo and Sam are from the Shire. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, from the Shire. Yeah. Yeah, Shire. Shire. Yeah, Shire. Shire. I got yeah. it. Yeah, which is a perfect lead into our first email, by the way. Uh, that is was completely unplanned. Oh, yeah, wow. Uh, okay. For- uh, our first email was uh, came in from a from a dear friend of mine, which I was kind of surprised by. Yes, yes. This is from uh, Doc Rafael. What up, Doc? Who, who uh, has emailed us before? <laughs> yes, Rafael uh, uh, says I just listened to the podcast about the way back and wanted to suggest that you definitely do a Lord of the Rings extended edition review. Uh, Clarissa and I rewatch it every other year. Good tradition. Uh, usually over the course of a week. Uh, Clarissa hates wa- rewatching movies, but this trilogy is the one exception. Dot 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 to rule them all? Question mark. <laughs> I love this because again, I've uh, Dr. De Silva Rafael uh, has emailed us before, usually to correct us on scientific matters when sure. needed. And thank uh, you for all- doing so. Yeah, and always needed. Uh, he's a dear friend. Clarissa is a dear friend. Uh, I miss them very much. I've uh, one of my favorite. Uh, I think it was a Christmas or Thanksgiving. We went up to their place. Uh, they'd moved away from the city, and we spent the entire weekend watching movie trilogies of all things. Uh, so we did uh, Back to the Future, Aliens, and I think we did Godfather. I can't quite remember uh-huh. if we did Godfather or not. Um, so I love the fact that uh, in midst of uh, the pandemic, uh, we have not heard from Dr. Raphael at all, uh, except to say, do do watch Lord of the Rings. Does, um, does but- this mean that I'm just as close friends with the good doctor as you are now? I mean, oh, I, haven't got, I haven't had the privilege of sharing holidays with the man yeah. and his family, but, but I mean... <laughs> I, 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 yeah, you're you're kind of uh, you're part of the extended family now. I think probably I, closer than me. Would I be invited to Olive Garden? Uh to Olive Garden, no. Because He's... when we're there, you're family. Uh, well, when we're there, I, I down breadsticks for days, like but, you do with your family, <laughs> like I do with my family. Uh, yes, we we have talked about a Lord of the Rings episode. I do. I think Lord of the Rings is perfect for the time we're in right now. Yep. It is a perfect um, series to catch up with, uh, as we've discussed many times before. And I won't dwell on it anymore. Uh, I'm just struggling to find the time. I actually was got, like until I realized that we were doing the podcast tonight. I was like, I that's what I could do tonight. I'm going to watch the first disc. 
And uh, and then I realized we were doing the podcast, and I was like, well, that's my time for the week. Yeah, yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> I have already done my homework because I have less responsibilities. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've rewatched all three extendeds. I have thoughts. I have feelings. I have emotions about uh, the Tolkien uh, wonderment of it all. So, yeah, I would like to do that at some point. It's just going to be a matter of when we can find uh, Mr. Dow time. Hours? To, Is it nine uh, hours? No, it's like 13, it's... brah. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's even worse. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. <laughs> Well, I I think I I'm interested in doing it because um, as I was describing to you earlier, I think I Forrest Gumped my way through the making of Lord of the Rings We're as it do was it. happening, um, which is to say I sort of was around at different events uh, as the film was being made, and I got to kind of see just at least from the periphery uh, how that film was being put together, and I think it's a it's a pretty amazing thing to have watched, uh, you know, somewhat from the first hand. So, Doc, we will a hundred percent do it. It's just a matter of giving us a a lot of time because we have to it's it's weird it actually is strange how both of us have been talking we've both become far more busy during this than before yeah. um and so it's just a matter of when Shahir can can get it done yeah i think i have it's it's because our homes have become our office yeah. and therefore our offices are now full time is kind of what's happened to me a little bit yeah. um so but we will uh, do it it's just we will do it we'll be, it'll close. be a little bit yeah yeah uh hopefully yeah um, I wanted to also touch on this email. We got two emails from Stephen. Thank you so very much for reaching out to us, Stephen. Hi, Stephen. Uh, the first one was in reference. I think it was actually in reference to this movie when we were discussing it a couple of weeks ago. To which I said, film? I don't think. Uh, onward. Are you, don't you mean onward? Onward. Uh, because I think I said something along the lines of, uh, I didn't think that uh, my son would be old enough to watch this. My son is four years old. Um, and Stephen wrote in uh, to say, so when my kids were six and seven years old, Howl's Moving, Howl's Moving Castle came out. Ooh. I'd read the book by Diana Wynne-Jones. It was charming and subversive on the fantasy trope with a very positive, strong female protagonist. I hadn't actually seen any Miyazaki films at that point, but I'd heard they were very good. And it's PG and animation, so it's okay for kids, right? As it played out, I was wondering what the heck I just subjected my kids to. <laughs> I was expecting a lot of questions, but they were both quiet. The reason I bring it up, as now my 22-year-old, uh, I'm guessing daughter, was watching it on Netflix, she says it was one of her favorite movies and deeply influ influential on her. She had found it disturbing at the time, uh, not as bad as Grandma playing the Bad Jelly, the Witch, or the, uh, the Dark Crystal, uh, but making her think about things, it was beautiful and complex. I guess the thing is, as parents, we don't always get it right. But sometimes our mistakes are not wrong either. I thought that was a lovely. Email, That's a great way. ending, Stephen. Yeah. Holy hell! Stephen is a is a is a person I've worked with. He's also a terrific writer. Oh, there you so, go. Uh, I, I I I really enjoyed that email, and I I um. To that end, I have requested that we, you and I do a film, which I think you've watched now, uh, about a, a film that I watched as a child growing up many, many, many times over. And it's a film I don't think many people have seen, but is free to watch on YouTube. Yep. And I think would be an interesting film to discuss. Let's put it uh, in the bank. Yeah, uh, so for hopefully in a few weeks now, we're going to be doing another film just in the same sentiment as what Steven's email was. But not animated and not Howl's Moving Castle or this mm -hmm. film that we are doing today because by then it will already be done. Uh, Howl's Moving Castle, real quick, favorite Miyazaki film for me. Okay. I love that movie so dearly, and I can totally see how a seven or eight year old would have it be that like that terror that fascinates them. Like yeah. it, it, that that movie for me, animated when I was a kid, was the last unicorn. 
Okay, I don't. Do I know that film? It, it, it's Court. a it's a beautiful animated film, but there's some scary parts. Like there's a giant fire bull, and there's a skull that's guarding a door that's always drunk, and like okay. it's supposed to be played. Like you watch it now, and it's silly, but for some reason, when I and, and other people have told me this, write us in onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com or tweet at us onlymoviepod. If any part of the last unicorn scared the shit out of you when you were a child. <laughs> But like, oh, it's it's what formulated. I think the last unicorn was the first um, thing where I had a cognitive memory of, oh, their animation can do more than like kind of brain dump entertain me on Saturday morning, right? Like it's not. I was always like energized by a thing, but like last unicorn made me feel other things. Uh, right. So that was always an interesting. So I can totally see. And House Moving Castle, I think, is a better film than Last Unicorn. So I could totally see that happening. Yeah, I think there's something that happened. Like, I think we all get exposed to movies that we shouldn't necessarily get exposed to. And I, I'm definitely overprotective of my son right now. I think I'm, I think I'm justified in doing so. Uh, you know, he's only four. Yeah. So I think, I think that's fine. But here's but the question. Here's the I, question. I do, I do want him to discover movies that I wouldn't approve of at some point. So, when my mom was out of town once, I've told the story before. My dad took me to the video store and we rented Predator. Predator. I know the story okay. very well. So in that vein. And you don't have to answer this perfectly, but I want you to think about this. When 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 your son is of uh, age, whatever age you think is old enough, but not really old enough, but like, come on, like, let's go do it, kid, right? Like, yeah. what is the film that you will show him? What is what is his predator? Uh, so I don't I don't know what that film is, but I do have I I I daydream about the time. He and I can watch The Godfather Part Two. <laughs> I don't know why, but that is the film I literally I daydream about sharing the experience of watching that movie with him. I mean that that's not, that that would be a beautiful experience, there's no mm. question. But that's not the film you're talking about. That's no. not the, the, the inappropriate film the, that I, I'm the showing. The film him. that he goes back and talks to his friends and be like, My dad showed me the coolest thing. Like now, I th- I th- so I think for me that film might be Terminator Two. Yeah. Like the, the, that's the film I might show him. But I have a sneaking suspicion that by the time he is that age, it will be something else. Maybe it'll be Mad, like the latest I can think it could be it'd be Mad Max Fury Road. But maybe it'll be something entirely different. Yeah. In, you know, in like, uh, what are we, 10, 10, 10 years from now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I was just curious if that I mean, because that's something I think about, too. And I, 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 I was going to carry the tradition on if I ever have kids and have it be Predator. <laughs> Well, of course, Predator, Predator, John McTiernan at the peak of it. No, this is John McTiernan's first or second film. I can't I remember. I thought it was his second one. I thought I think he it's did a something second movie, him. something like that. At the peak of his powers, you know, like really coming in and saying, "This is what I think action movies should be," and it is uh, amazing. Written, you know, some scenes written by Shane Black, I believe. Yeah, um, and it's oh, amazing. It's, it's amazing what that movie does. It, I, I, I forget there was a there was a, a a stat online somewhere. It's something like thirteen minutes of that film's runtime is just shots of jungle and nothing in it. Oh, but it's so good. I it's think so good. I, I, I think the other, the other big thing is, um, I. Th- Arnold Schwarzenegger is such a weird, um, weird thing. It, like, as he's such a weird entity to think about as a movie star. If you think about what he is, right? And and I think Predator. Maybe maybe if you go back to Conan the Barbarian, uh, there's only a few films that really figured out what to do with him and like what to do with him really well. And Predator was one of those movies that really figured out. Okay, this is what this guy is, and I'm not just going to use him as 
fodder. I'm not just going to use them as, 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 you know, like muscle on screen. I'm actually going to do something interesting with the size of, with, with this person as a character. Yeah. Cause like and total, think, total recall. He's great in it, but he doesn't like need to be Arnold. Yeah, uh, the running man, great be, in it, yeah. doesn't need to be Arnold. Commando yeah. could have been a few different things, but like I do feel like Predator wouldn't have felt the same had it been yeah. a different actor. Yeah, and I think uh, um, Conan the Barbarian, I think, really did get that right as yeah. well. And definitely the Terminator, you know, yeah. and Terminator oh, yeah, 2 yeah. Under, fully understood what to do with Arnold. So, yes, uh, we uh, let's figure out inappropriate movies at some point. And again, there is a movie that I am hoping that we will do on the podcast, which is available on YouTube. So it'll be an interesting one for us to discuss that nobody has seen. Why don't you uh, tell can... them what it is so that <laughs> way they have time to watch it before? I will definitely, I will definitely tweet out everyone once we, once we guarantee okay. we're doing it's that movie. Secret for now, uh, but uh, the movie has two titles in in Fiji. When I owned it on VHS, it was called Zits, as in the pimples you pop. Yep. Uh, but I think it had a different title in America, which was a Spy Trap. Um, so we'll be talking hopefully about a movie that is as uh, as as rare to find as uh, as only available on YouTube at some point. Uh, one more email from Stephen just before we uh, close out the email bag, uh, and that was about our review on the way back. And it starts with, "I think you are right, Matt." I mean, you no. know how Matt, the script Matt, has them saying the name Jack Matt all the time, right, Matt? Uh, the dialogue <laughs> truly bugged me, especially as visually as it did so much right to the point that the visuals would stand out uh, in a way that distracted from the conclusive whole. I found myself admiring what technique that they were doing in the moment, like cutting away from the action and unexpected point. I'd like to think that this was a really cool way to subvert the trope, but does it actually further the story and the fact that I was thinking about the building blocks and wanting to fast forward through the dialogue? Not a bad movie, but not as good as it should have been, though, either. Um, Matt, you had some complaints about the dialogue in uh, Gavin O'Connor's film The Way Back, uh, which I um, did not agree with. And I've gone back and actually watched a couple of scenes from that mo- that film. And it's funny, as I see the thing you're saying, as in I see it happening, but I still don't find it unnatural in the movie. I find it kind of just part of the fabric of the movie. I mean, fair. Uh, it's, just, yeah. it's just whenever a film is dealing with, like, real, like human emotion mm. in heavy ways in an, in, and and I would posit important ways anything else that they do that doesn't feel like natural and human to me is a distraction and I think it's just weird it's just weird <laughs> I think I would I would chalk it up to something that actually is true to my experience of the film, which is I think you did you are touching on, but maybe not you know like through the dialogue, but it is the egocentrism of the film, which is that the idea that the film posits this world in which Jack is the main player in everybody's life, and that is the thing that I think you're really pointing at um, uh, through the dialogue. No, because because millions of movies do that. That's what a main character is. Not all right. movies, of course, but not every one. Feels the need to name drop them every two but it, minutes at the least. But it's this thing that you said, uh, I think, in that review where you discussed the fact that there's this thing where everyone's talking about how great Jack was at basketball. He was like to the point where like people 30, 40 years later uh, are seeing him and going, oh, my God, you were the greatest basketball player that ever lived. That's a and silly it's thing. That, it's the egocentrism of the design of the film. But that's a silly thing that 
oftentimes happens in those stories. And that felt real to the world itself. What didn't feel yeah. real to the world was the way that they were speaking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll uh, go back and listen yeah, to our episode to on one. the way back, which was a fun episode to do. Um, and for because of the because of coronavirus, we now both own it, so we can revisit that. Let's keep at watching some point. it. <laughs> uh, I have a question about Onward, Shahir. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, so, did you buy it, or did you or did you wait till it came out on Disney Plus? <laughs> oh, I waited till Disney Plus, baby, because I am a cheap mofo. I'm also getting Disney Plus for free for a year on Verizon. We are so all I'm going just... to be so sad when whatever <laughs> d- demonic contract we signed to get that. <laughs> clicks oh, over boy. and it's like oh by the way you pay you owe us for three years now toodles <laughs> um and i in terms of disney plus are you watching a lot of disney plus? i haven't watched the mandalorian i do want to watch the mandalorian because of the production technique that was involved in that mandalorian is good uh, mandalorian yeah. won't change your life but mandalorian is good i snuck in and i'm not even going to say the spoiler just in case but there's a, you know it obviously a cultural touch point spoiler that happens in the thing um is it about a, a, no, a just, little just, just in case. tiny person uh, but the, the point my point is I don't know how I snuck by because I didn't watch that for like a month until it came after it came, that first episode came out, and that was such a wonderful surprise. And like yeah. I totally see why like it all made sense. The Mandalorian is good. It's not great, okay. but it's yep. good, and maybe it'll get great. <sighs> oh, okay. So oh, okay. Uh, so it's ongoing. I, I th- the the reason I want to see it too is uh, an actor who's acted in a film uh, of mine was in the show. I think in a decent in a prominent role. Um, and the second thing was that they used this production technique where they used Unreal Engine as a live 3D engine uh, for backdrops uh, on set, uh, which is pretty amazing when you look at it. It's basically, you know, Stanley Kubrick, when he did 2001 A Space Odyssey, used rear projection to yep. kind of build out these sets so you didn't have to composite. The light from the sets, you know, would be on them. And that's essentially what they use in The Mandalorian, but in a updated 3D rendering engine. So basically, uh, Is it Unreal could- 5? Yeah, they use a, a version of Unreal, and they they have like an a fully built LED stage set, which is tethered to the optical angle of the camera. Perfect. So what that means That's is perfect. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It's it's basically like uh, so the background changes as you move the camera. You don't need to composite. You get all. And the the beautiful thing about the Mandalorian uh, is the character wears a reflective mask. All those reflections are real. Because they're coming off uh, a backdrop, which is actually in front of them. That's great. I did not know that. And you know what's funny? You when you watch it, you'll notice. You'll and well, I maybe maybe you'll of course notice this because you you work in VFX, but also like you know this behind the scenes tech thing. I was instantly like, these effects look good, but they look different. But yeah. not in a bad like it didn't it didn't shake me like. But I, I remember seeing it when I first started watching the series and be like, this looks different. And yeah. then I just went over because it washes over you because it's a it's yeah, a good it, series. It, it becomes a look, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, and no, so it's, it's consistent. Yeah, that that is actually the main reason I want to see that show. That the literally the, the it's the, a good show. Shahir, honestly, I think watch that if you can. They're short; they're like twenty two minutes. Pop right. the first one on before you go to bed tonight. It ain't gonna happen. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm literally just saying it, it's such a um. I think hi Zoe. It's such a perfect quarantine show because it's it's just light and just dark enough to like fill you up and then not leave any residue like okay. i don't know it's just it, <laughs> that it sounded feels like grosser than i think it should have no but, no yeah. i meant it to sound gross <laughs> uh we have sidetracked far enough from onward so we should do as the title suggests and press on with dan scanlon's uh pixar feature dan the 22nd. scanlon uh, the 22nd Pixar film. Uh, have we done a Pixar movie on this podcast? Yeah. I don't believe we have. 
No, we sure we, we did. We've talked about Pixar movies on this We've podcast. We've done a Pixar I, movie. Have we done a Pixar movie? I don't think we have. Uh, I really don't. I'm, I'm like, oh no, yeah, of course we have. Toy Story Four. Yeah, that's yeah, a Pixar course. movie. Yeah, no, but I always I love, I, the the, dis, the distinction we're making was that we always think Frozen is a Pixar movie and it's not. I uh, that's a distinction you're making. Yeah. Uh, the 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 interesting thing though, you know, what I loved about this with us debating it is mm-hmm. I know that there's like two or three listeners that are like like listing the like yelling <laughs> yeah, Toy yeah, Story three, four, four before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're the real uh, MVPs. Yeah, you are the real MVPs, and we are just uh, old men who are losing their memories. Uh, Matt. Uh, this was a film that w- came out just a few weeks ago, which you commented on as being something that you were surprised that you weren't as excited about. Uh, but because of the pandemic and the way we're living life right now, uh, Disney has decided to drop it on VOD uh, early and then uh, furthermore to release it on their streaming service, Disney Plus, just uh, a week ago, mm-hmm. which meant that uh, this newly released film, which I think didn't do that well in uh, in terms of box office receipts. I'm going to Google that as we speak. Sure. Um, it had now has a second life uh, online uh, on streaming services. Uh, were you excited to see this at more on at home than you were to go to the theater? Not really. And really? It, it, so that didn't change at all? No. Uh, the interesting thing about it was the trailer. When I first saw the trailer, like the first time, mm-hmm. I was and it was like I was almost like a teaser at that point. You didn't quite know what was going on. You didn't, uh, you, you know, it didn't tell you too much anything, you know, what was happening. You just found out that there were these two elf kids and one had a cool, like, you know, 80s rock van and they had to go on a quest. And it was At in least. a world that was like <laughs> magic, but also like present. Can you, can you just do that one more time and say it in your trailer voice? Because I think you would do that well. What Say what? In a world where there was magic. In a world where there was magic. Yeah. yeah, keep going. <laughs> but yeah, I thought I should be, but after that point, I thought I should be more pumped for it than I was. Uh, I, I saw a second trailer, I saw more of the story, and I was like, okay. And I could tell something was off. Like, a lot of this film seems like, you know, market researched to me. Like, I feel right. like... Yeah, I'm yeah, I would say 100%. In it a lot. I love the parody. I love the actors involved. I love mashing worlds up. This seemed like like a, a fun version of Bright, right? Sure, uh, sure. Like, uh, I love, uh, you know, poking fun and poking holes in genre. Uh, I thought it would be... I, thought, I, I kept being like, this is something that I should be excited about. And I never got excited about it. And... Uh, I think I've come to terms with why. Okay. Uh, which we'll get why into. Why you weren't excited about it or why you, how you feel about it after having seen it. Oh, no, I know how I feel about it after I see it. I think I, I can sort of land on why I, I like, I think my subconscious got uh, smarter than my fanboy. Okay. Uh, and I think I picked <laughs> up on some problems that we'll discuss in a little bit. Uh, that's, what, that, you know. Uh, but, to, well, to preface it, what was your subconscious telling you that was, that, uh, that, what was your subconscious telling you about this movie before you'd seen it? Uh, it was, uh, it was wearing the clothes of something it thought could make money. Huh. It felt like a marketing exercise from the trailer. Yeah, well, no. See, this is the thing. The first trailer didn't. Then later on, it kind of did. And I, I even I know now, having when I was watching the trailers, that is not what I was thinking. But I was not excited. And there's something that like connected. And I think that 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 feeling that I have, especially now, spoiler alert, after watching the film, uh, 
I think that was permeating somehow through, and I was I was gleaning a, a slight bit of that off of the what was shown to me, what was being sold to me. Okay. Um, but but what about you? Did, were you at all? I mean, this isn't exactly your cup of tea. Not to say you wouldn't enjoy it, but like, were you at all excited about about seeing this movie, even for free on Disney Plus? Uh, I was. Uh, the main reason I was excited to see it was to see if it was something me and my son could watch. Right. Um, you know, like in terms of whether it would be a fun movie that we could check out together, and and that is the barometer by which I I I think about Pixar movies. Though I do. Uh, I am excited, mainly because uh, since we got, uh, you know, the other film that we watch on Disney Plus quite uh, often is Cars, um, because my son loves that movie. And and it's interesting because that is probably my least favorite Pixar movie. I, I would uh, say same, but also I'm a hardcore Cars apologist. Like, I watched it once, I was like, okay, and I watched it again, and I was like, no, I get it. Like, yeah. I'm in it's it. Not, it's it's certainly not as bad as as I initially would have thought it was, and I certainly have grown to appreciate the sort of um, spectacle of it that my son appreciates. Yeah. But um, but it, the thing about Pixar um, is it, they they work on a level where even their even their lesser films out of the twenty two that they've made thus far uh, are still pretty good, you know. And and the thing about them is that they're great films are exceptional across any kind of medium. And and uh, I know this is going to be triggering for you in a little bit, but but I can't speak about Marvel in the same way, which is that for me Marvel films for example, their be- Marvel's best films are to me okay, whereas whereas Pixar's best films to me are exceptional. And 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 that's so so Pixar has an unusual relationship, which is that they swim in a sea of excellence, whereby I kind of I give their films. I, I guess I rank in the same way that I can rank Marvel films on a slight curve. Um, I think Pixar's films is, is is a similar curve, but inversed, which is to say I'm always. I, I do think the, the level of craftsmanship and the storytelling craftsmanship that Pixar brings as a studio to most of their films is pretty great. And even on the list of films, films that I don't love, for example, like uh, The Good Dinosaur, Brave, I'm not the biggest fan of, Cars, I'm not the biggest fan of, I still think are pretty good. I really and like And then Brave. their high points, Inside Out, Finding Nemo, Toy Story, those are incredible. You know, those are those are exceptional works of art. You know, they don't need to be judged on a curve at all. Let's uh, let's uh, go back to the triggering thing. I will never be triggered by you saying your opinion of a thing. If you okay. had said like categorically, Marvel movies are not this. Not that you feel that they are not this. I totally respect your opinion. That's a okay. Um, so not triggered. I'm good. Okay. Um, okay. The- but but to that end, um, uh, I will. Uh, there was something about this. I guess it's something that that is inherent to the nature of where Pixar is as a studio now. Um, you know, when they began making films, you know, with Toy Story, they were a technology outlier. They were uh, ahead of the curve. They were um, they were leaders in their field um, and kind of futurist, if you will. You know, like we would we would look at their works uh, in terms of what they, their works would signal for the future. And if you look at a film like Wall-E, for example, the way in which that depicted something that we'd never seen before in a way that was beautiful and and sort of extraordinary in a way we hadn't considered before that was that sort of signaling of a futurist you know like a a futurist outlook of what they can do and now we're gonna get a ps5 controller that looks like evie 
Oh, is that what it is now? It's I, like, oh, I saw the PS5. It uh, looks like... What's it, it called? The R... Uh, uh, I don't know the art. They have some tech name for it, but it looks yeah. like the the other robot in Wally. Yeah. Uh, so so you know they they are you know like this amazing sort of prescient force in our life, and I think to me the highest the high point for their work is Inside Out because I think Inside Out depicted something that I think no other medium could depict as succinctly, clearly, and as profoundly as they did. Um, so what that the reason I bring that up is that there is a quality to what I had seen of the images of Onwards that felt familiar, even not just by Pixar standards, but by also the standards of studios around Pixar that have been making content. And I think this is why a film like Into the Spider-Verse is so exceptional, because that is a film that doesn't look or feel like anybody else is making yep. that film. Man, I just want to watch that again. Oh, yeah. that's a, I watched it again uh, recently, and I was like, this thing is incredible. Um, and, and I think the, the point I'm bringing up here is that there's a lot about the look and feel of Onward that lacks the magic and the kind of awe-inspiring inspira- uh, awe-inspiring, um, oh, what's the word? Grandier yeah, the, style? Yeah, awe-inspiring style that we had come, you know, that we come to expect with what Pixar is now as a, as a brand. And that is that is sort of uh in part um just the fact that you know what they've become now they are a major entity, they have a brand identity. Um and it's also a part of like maybe they are getting a little bit repetitive at this stage. And and you know like to the point I think the the central character of uh in Onward um uh Ian played by Tom Holland looks a lot like the main character of Ratatouille. And you know like it just it yeah. kind of there's that repetition of the quest motif, the the repetition of the adventure where with one excitable person and one not so excitable person, you know that's the finding finding Nemo and uh, the the Dory and uh Dory uh and Nemo's dad adventure. Uh-huh. It's very familiar. It's very uh, prototypical. So there, there is an element I think uh, that you're picking up on uh, that I think is very uh, appropriately. Uh, you can be appropriately suspicious of when looking at this film. It's it's interesting. Uh, there, you you, th- and maybe this is a, a problem of getting t- too big or too. I, I, corporate's such a weird word, and it's too umbrella-y. I don't like using it, but like, like what just happened with Star Wars. Okay, I, I thought a lot about Star Wars when I was watching this movie. Like Star Wars, the 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 last Skywalker or whatever it was, rise. What I don't even know. Rise of the Skywalker. Yeah. Uh, Why do I know that? I don't know. <laughs> uh, you got to talk to your therapist. Uh, <laughs> but the the that whole kerfuffle and the way that series has gone was the first dent in. In uh, in what I saw as the Disney armor, I kind of always knew it would come because look, the second you get so big, the less people are going to say no to you, and eventually you're going to have a bad idea. Like <laughs> that's just how it works. And I don't think that Pixar is is necessarily that, but I like I can kind of see the the structure by committeeness of Disney these days in this. That's not to say that the animation in this does not look like fluid and and really nice, but like the world itself and the, I would say the animation is phenomenal. The art direction is I mean, for it to be set in a fantastic world that is mixed with like general like like real world stuff like 2020 things, it felt bland as fuck. Like Yeah, I think a review I'd read said it, you know, like for some reason modern day Fantasia in this world feels like Burbank, California. 
and you yeah. know, like with all the blandness of that. It just it just felt shout out and, to all our listeners in Burbank. Of course. <laughs> and but like the interesting thing is I was kind of hoping that like maybe and I gave up around a third through, uh, that like maybe this was the this was the the point, this was the twist, this was gonna be like when magic came back, yeah. like something would change. Yeah. Uh spoiler alert, it doesn't. Um <laughs> So and, and I look, I feel like I'm I'm poo-pooing on this fairly hard. It is in my first thoughts uh, are just that it is basically nerd fantasy adventure by committee. <laughs> That's not bad, but it is in no way memorable or good. Uh, it's just sort of there, uh, and I did not dislike time while I was watching it, but I did roll my eyes pretty hard at something that, like, should be just sort of joyous. And I was like, you know what I thought, Shere, too? I was like, what what uh, am, am I just too old for this now, right? Is this I, something that I kids... I have a theory about this. Is, that, is this something that kids will latch on to and it's going to teach them a nice lesson and maybe I'm an old cur- curmudgeon? <laughs> Well, definitely yes, but right, also, but that, yeah. Um, in this case, is that the problem? <laughs> um, we haven't actually said what the movie is about. Oh, I got uh, it right here. The IMB- yeah, could you read us the IMDb synopsis? I am Dubu says this film is about two elven brothers embark on a quest to bring their father back to life for one day. One day. One day. Just for one day. <laughs> um, I I think you're um you're articulating something that I think I certainly felt and I've been trying to arti- I've been trying to figure out the language for why I felt the same way about this. But mm. the first thing I kind of wanted to really point out is that um, <laughs> one of the symptoms of the coronavirus is the la- loss of taste and smell, and I have been wondering. <laughs> Over the last couple of weeks, you're an asshole. Uh, with our review of the way back, you're and such an Honey asshole. Boy, uh, is if I am suffering from some form of psycho <laughs> psychokinesis or uh, 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 um, <laughs> of a psychological coronavirus, because I I gotta admit, with oh. with all three of these movies, oh. I have like I I can see. The flavor on display, and I can see the 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 you know the emotion that the films are trying to reach for, but I have not felt them in any way. And and I just want to point out that there has been a consistent theme since we've been in quarantine of like three movies that we've done recently, which is Honey Boy, The Way Back, and now this, which is that I see the emotion on display, and I see the catharsis for which the emotion of uh, the, the storytelling is having upon its creator and potentially its audience, but it is not connecting with me uh, in the way that I think these films want, want me to connect to. And I, and I was just like wondering if I was like having psychosymptomatic, um, you know, uh, 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 coronavirus symptoms at this point. Um, because to say the, that was the funniest the... thing you've said. I, 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 I that was so funny. I could, <laughs> that was such a, <laughs> I had to like move away from the mic for a minute. <laughs> well, because the one one of the things about this movie is, I think it actually does reach an emotional crescendo. It that does. is honest and true. And one of the things that I that I, I you know I read about uh, after the uh, after I watched the film is that that Dan Scanlon, the director, um, has you know like uh, the, the the story of a of a young man who has not seen his father, right. you know, like you know who died when he was very young and had an older brother who has a memory of him is very true to this to his life, you know. Um, the the uh the scene in the film where he 
finds the cassette tape, you know, where he has the cassette tape of his dad's recording and he starts talking to it. It's something that Dan Scanlon talks about uh, having done. So the emotional catharsis of the final moments of this film certainly ring true. Uh, But they ring true via (laughs) via small moments of realness, like you said, and then just slathering of trope. Yeah, and the the phrase I think I, I want to think about during what as I was thinking about it, is the phrase that came to my mind as I was watching it, and I was like, I'm not sure if I'm using this phrase correctly, uh, because uh, it's a literary term that uh, connotates a lot of things, but bathos or bathos, uh, you know, uh, having something being bathetic, which is the, to say that it, uh, and, I'm, and I do have a dictionary definition of bathos in front of me, uh, is an insincere, in excessively sentimental dis- demonstration of pathos. The adjective is bathetic. Um, and, and I've always known, uh, I, I think in, in the way I've learned these two phrases, bathos and, uh, and pathos, pathos and bathos, bathos is how Jeff bathos. <laughs> yeah. Uh, has always been that they've been antithetical to each other. And bathos is, is essentially like the undermining of serious moments, uh, through the excessively silly or, uh, ludicrous. And the problem here is that I think ultimately the film's central character or the film's emotional arc lives in Chris Pat- Pratt's character in Barley Lightfoot. You know, he is the he is the character with which we uh, find our emotional center through, much like Ellen DeGeneres' Dory in Finding Nemo. However, if you think about those two characters and the way that they play out, is that, for me, almost 95 to 99% of this movie, in the way that it plays with, Chris, with Barley Lightfoot, is for comedy. And then at the very end, it's kind of giving us, oh, there's this sort of underlying um, uh, weight to this character that we should have, you know, that, that, that reveals itself towards the end. Whereas in Finding Nemo, I think you get clear hints of the sadness of, of Dory's character throughout the entirety. And, it's, and, and there's, that, that's not to say that they can't still have comedy or playfulness with that, and, but we, we know very clearly that there is an underlying sadness to this character that will eventually reveal itself. In the case of Barley, the film doesn't play for that underlying sadness until the last moment of the movie. Uh, and it, and it come, for me, it comes a little too late. Yes, I would even go, I was feeling the exact same way. I was actually going to say, when you first meet Dory, you not only, you know, you laugh and and whatever, but you also kind of, they do a really good job of explaining who the character is. Not like giving away all the character's secrets, but like, you get it. You know yeah. who Dory is. And yeah. therefore, when someone calls Dory out or gets frustrated with Dory, you understand because you know Dory's strengths and weaknesses and, and the type of character that Dory is. This entire first half first two thirds of this movie treat barley for comedy that's fine but they're always like you're such a like people are like referencing that he's a screw up yeah but we haven't seen him screw up at all like he has tropish stuff like oh he drives a rock and roll van and likes fantasy games but like we don't know like we don't understand. Also, because they're animated elves, we're not quite sure like how old they are, and therefore, like, I never got the vibe that like, oh, it's like the twenty-seven-year-old moving back in with their parents and like kind of being a burnout. Because we never see that. Like, it's yeah. just sort of like older brother, younger brother stuff. And uh, I didn't understand why he was. Uh, that's why I chose that quote in the beginning. Like, uh, you know, what was it, what was it? Uh, the screw up. You can't call me a screw up uh, if you don't let me try things my way. Which also. 
A, kind of calls out the problem with the film in general, but B, the stupidest sentiment. Um, there's a lot of stupid sentiment in this movie, um, which I'll kind of get into, but I wanted, like, that's why, like, I had, it was such a hard upswing for me to finally get to the emotional catharsis of what was going on with these two brothers by the end, was because I had no fucking clue other than the joke tropes they're showing me. And also, let's be very clear, kind of dated tropes. Like right, the the old sort of nerdy dungeon master kind of like oh I'm and, in a van and like whatever and like yeah can Chris Pratt do that hell yeah because Chris Pratt was that dude like yeah but it's it do, it doesn't feel current it doesn't feel like grounded at all it just feels like there was a bunch of people in an office taking probably the director's like actual like cathartic sort of moments that they wanted to get across but they're like. Yeah, but like, what if he drove like like an '80s van with a unicorn spray painted on it? You're like, oh, and like, it's stuff that might even sound cool when you're discussing it on or like writing it on paper, but like, it fell completely flat when you're trying to make this character a 3D thing, especially one that's going to be the catharsis at the end of your film. Uh, it was very strange. Yeah, and I think I think the problem here is is that the 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 best gags in most of Pixar's films, and, and it doesn't have to necessarily be this all the time, but they're laden with a sense of underlying sadness. Like, so we can make, or not necessarily sadness, but an underlying truth to it. It's you know? real. Like, so that we, was yeah. I was yeah. gonna say real, but truth yeah. is a hundred percent. Yeah, you can emote yeah. with it because you understand the emotions that it's giving across. Yeah, you can under you can actually you know like so, uh, Woody Woody you know being uh, neurotic about uh, the way in which toys are organized and the hierarchy of toys are organized is real because we get a sense of Woody being afraid of uh, of where he's gonna be where he's gonna end up in the world and he's afraid not only of that but also the finiteness of which his experience will with Andy is going to be you know like the, the 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 genius of finding Nemo is the first you know five minutes of the film when uh, I, I forget Nemo's what is Nemo's dad's name um, uh, G- Marlon yeah. Marlon uh, when Marlon uh, Marlon's entire family is killed in front of him you know like that is the that that sits you up to to you know but then like immediately after that there's like hey you're a clownfish tell us a joke and it's and and we we get why he his jokes are bad and they're kind of funny because they're bad but we also fully understand the sadness for which this character lives with yeah and so um you know I, sort of contemporaneously the the other show to think about that does this really brilliantly that we both love is BoJack Horseman yep you know like it is a show that 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 understands sadness and fu- and humor at the same time. The interesting thing about BoJack is is it found it midway through. If you watch the first season of BoJack, I'm not convinced that they actually knew that they were going to go where they did. Nor did they. I think did they think that they could. Like it comes off as very insincere the first season, and it and, and I am shocked. I've never seen a series, and I love BoJack. Take a twist, like yeah, like change I, its I, tone. I always felt it was there in season one. Uh, uh, I always, I, felt, I, I always felt like you know, Bojack was a very depressed alcoholic in season one. But they played it more for laughs, and they played it more like a little, to be honest, a little more in the in the Rick of Rick and Morty thing, where it's like, yeah, you don't, you shouldn't idolize this guy, but like, look at all this cool shit he can get away with, like, yeah. like. But then it does, it uses that as a as a as weight in, in the later seasons. 
And then, so if you if you if you think about what we've just described and been talking about, kind of excitedly in terms of other shows and other characters, it's it's there's none of that sentiment with Barley. And and for me, Barley is the heart of the movie. Yeah. It's not Ian uh, Ian Lightfoot played by Tom Holland, uh, who to me is kind of. You know, like he wears his journey on his sleeve from the very beginning of the movie. I'm you know? also and so sick of the trope that Ian falls into. Of what? Just like uh, nothing wrong with him. There's no like, he, like he's shy, but like in the world that is set up, like he's no like better or worse looking or acting than anyone else, but he's so introverted and he has like it's very high school teenager, but like movie high school teenager, movie high school teenager, but like to 11. And yeah. like every like the practicing of a speech and then like getting yeah. pen on your face, which actually the physical comedy of the pen in the face was funny. That was yeah. I actually wrote down that was the first time I laughed. Uh, and, and there the were first, jokes. Can I tell you the first time I laughed? What? It was right at the end of the movie. Really? There was one moment where I actually went, huh? And it was the quote that I used at the beginning, which was "I am a warrior," yeah. and that's when his mother, you know, like uses her uh, yep. home uh, home workout routine to climb up a dragon. Yeah. Uh, the. So so I didn't like Ian either. Like I I I, I related to Ian or I, I emoted with him during the tape moment, and I'm glad you brought that up that, that was an actual moment from the director, because that felt that felt like the first real moment in an overall like shiny corporate package of a film. And right. then I was like, oh, like, okay. And that's what I sort of got hopes up of like maybe this is gonna do like a really sick like yeah. turnaround when when the magic stuff starts happening. Um and also, so the, the the central conceit of this film is they they there's a apparently their deceased father was a wizard, and he left his kids a spell when they were old enough with his wizard staff to bring him back to life. But for some unknown reason, and I think it's kind of played by the end because like Ian didn't accept Barley's help, kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, they only bring and that's not explained. They only bring half of the dad back, and it's the yeah. lower half. And then they have to find another Phoenix gem to power the staff to bring him back because he only gets one day to spend with his from beyond the grave with his kids. Right. Um, uh, can I can I ask you a question? Did yeah. you feel like the first half of the movie is this is this pining for a relationship with his father? Now the father turns up in you know uh, admittedly in a fifty percent form, but has some ability to emote and to kind of you know engage with these characters. There's a thing that happened to me with this film, which is like I forgot the father was even in the back of the car, yep. the you know, like most of the way through, and I was like, this sort of weekend at Bernie's gag that they do with him, but it doesn't actually give you anything to bounce off of. Weekend at Bernie's, it's funny. I thought a lot about Weekend at Bernie's. Weekend at Bernie's, the, while while the corpse itself does not emote, the corpse itself no pun intended reeks of steaks right like yeah and it because, also gives you, there's a malevolence to that to that corpse you're like oh man is bernie fucking with me right now yeah and but there's like, none of that with this or but, but also that the main characters that are with the corpse are like are always on a knife's edge of almost getting caught right and th- never did i believe that they would not get this father back nor did i even think about the father like much at all and th- the father did a, a bit of a <laughs> I called it the Stevie Wonder paradox, where right. he he's not he's the lower half, so he's not supposed to be able to see or anything like that. He obviously can't speak. Yeah, uh, and they do some clever things with like how do he identifies him because of a way that like uh, Barley tapped his foot when he was a kid and like all that. Yeah. Like that's all great. Um, but then as it moves on, they keep making excuses to make the feet and legs more like 
cognizant and knowing mm-hmm. of what was going on. Like the second they're like, oh, he could feel the vibration of the music. And I was like, okay. But then there was another part where like it just knew where they instantly both were. And I was right. like, this movie, this I find this is with with films that um if I can't get behind a central conceit, and we talked about this before, it, that's when the other cracks really start bothering me. Like, yeah. the thing I just described about the legs, that doesn't really matter, but it yeah. bugged me. Um, there's other things, like the rules in this film about magic, Yeah, they don't follow them right after they say them. There's a spell they cast to uh, <laughs> trick some cops. Yeah. Uh, oh, and how brave of Disney to have one of the the uh, police let, let, officers. Let's side table that Ugh. because I want to talk about the, if we're talking about the overarching entity of Disney yeah. and LGBTQ characters. Yeah. Let's table that okay. for a we'll whole be back. discussion. We'll be back. Yeah. Uh, that'll be a side quest. Um, then they cast a spell where he has to pretend to be the stepfather character who's a cop and a centaur, which is I like centaurs. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the rule is okay, you can use this spell, but you can't lie. Right. That or else you or else you would and later on, like he starts telling white lies and like he starts appearing to these things and it's it's played for laughs. The first thing he says when he walks out in front of the other police that he is not allowed to lie to is hello, fellow police folk. <laughs> and I'm like, and then I, I rewound it and I watched the other lies that he tells that makes the other things happen, and they're the same style of lie. Like this movie only follows its own rules. When it is convenient. There's other examples, and I'm not going to bore you with it, but like, when a film can't grab me with its central conceit, and its characters are stock, and th- uh, a character, I-, I find out two-thirds through the movie that I'm actually supposed to care about a character in an emotional way, <laughs> those cracks start adding up and and definitely poison the experience. I think as well, for a film that is ultimately about a fantasy world... Where, uh, which, which is essentially forgotten magic, the reoccurrence of magic. You know, for example, in the uh, the pixie characters, you know, the pixie bikers or the fairy bikers, whatever they are, yeah. um, the reemergence of the idea that they can fly does not inspire awe or wonder at all. Nope. And 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 in fact, none of the moments in this film that should inspire awe and wonder actually ever stop and pause long enough for it to for it to have that effect. And again. Think about, I, and I will bring these up as comparison points because they're within the same you know field of filmmaking. But just think about the jellyfish sequence in Finding Dory. Sure. The first time you saw that, you know, like that is about you know like this character Marlin who is not willing to venture out beyond his world. He ventures out beyond this world, and he sees something. He sees something that is awe inspiring, and we see something that is awe inspiring. Nothing in this film inspired awe to me, and I was I I felt largely flat about everything. I like I like I think the 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 dragon conceit at the end of the movie where the dragon is made up of concrete and the that was clever. wears this painted face. Clever. I liked that a lot. I wrote uh, that down. That was but, a moment I really But none I really of the liked. characters actually respond to this in a way that gives you know, we talked I think when we talked about um Jurassic World, um I brought up the fact that one of the greatest tricks of Jurassic Park was it was reaction shots. Right. Like like the reason why the Brontosaurus sequence works so well is because of Sam Neill's reaction. You know, the fact that he everyone knows that moment when he tries to pull off the glasses and they fall off and everything. I think that is the real key to why that sequence works. There's nothing like 
I don't think there's even the hint of that sense of awe from the characters themselves exactly. in this film at the things that they are witnessing. Like Barley just seems to treat Barley seems to have prepped his entire life for everything that's about to happen, despite us knowing that this is a world that has forgotten magic. But you like, know? The, like it's but funny. he's like. He's like cool with it, and the convenient thing of that is like the, that there's a throwaway line of like this game I play is based in history, so like you know we're in like so yes. he's like kind of the the tutor in a way, so it, he's fully prepped for everything that's about to happen, and he's not excited by it. Yeah, well, he's excited, but in that like whoa, cool sort yeah, of way, yeah, yeah. not like any shock or awe. This movie yeah. has no awe to it. What it does yeah. have is is, uh, I guess structural cleverness. So, for instance, the ferry bikers, there are, uh, you see these motorcycles roll up to a gas station, and you're like, what? They're just driving themselves? And then you see, like, each one is being piloted by about 25 little, like, mini yeah. ferries. Yeah. And I, I was like, that's clever. I had right. a lot of moments, the dragon, with the, it was a, there's a mascot painted on the school, like she here said, when, the, when the, the spell comes and the curse hits and the, a dragon gets built out of the stones of the school, the face is the dragon. And when the dragon roars, the school bell rings. Like, right. that right. is clever. That right. is a clever moment. This movie has a lot of clever moments that you as an audience member are like, huh, that's clever, but it never right. goes beyond that because none of the characters think anything is special. Right. Or they don't react in a natural enough way to pull that off. Right. And and I think and I think this all like the things that we talked about is that this is all supposed to build to kind of an emotional catharsis towards the end of the film. And I think that emotional catharsis is true to the way Dan Scanlon, the director, talks about realizing that the journey that he's been wanting to go upon with his dad, he actually went upon with his brother. Right. Like that's that's essentially what the end of the film is saying. And it's that, you know, like we, you know, uh, Ian has this checklist of things that he wanted to do with his dad. And he realizes that he did it with his with his brother. All, all benign and, shit, by the way. Oh, like, yeah, you know, like all, all simple stuff. But 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 none of it actually, that sentiment and, is treated in a way, I think, you know, look, the, the positive reviews that I've read of this film have all talked about the fact that they were emotionally devastated by that ending. And I can certainly see that if, if this movie works for you, then it works for you. And this is kind of why I mentioned Honey Boy in the way back. I was like, if, if, this if these movies work for you, then they work for you. For me, to me, they work as a, as a catharsis of what the, what the author behind the film is trying to say, but not necessarily for me as an audience in terms of feeling, you know, like having the osmosis of what happens in a movie of feeling that reaction myself i had an emotional response to the end and how it breaks out uh how uh basically uh ian sacrifices the moment with the dad because he knew that barley uh we realized barley was there for him and they, oh, the whole thing right that whole moment i had an emotional response right. and i was like wow that would have been so much more powerful if they remotely set that up before the three-fourths moment right and they didn't and yeah. uh and, and, you know, movies do clever things all the time where you don't know a bunch of stuff and then there's an aha moment and you go back and you look at things and then you're like, oh, wow, the, look at Book of Eli. It's the one that always comes up. Book of Eli, <laughs> uh, Denzel, the, the Washington. Denzel Washington movie? Yeah, uh, <laughs> plays the, the the blind man who's walking in the apocalypse. Does Anton Fuqua direct that? I think he does. And there's a beautiful right? twist that I won't say in case you haven't seen it because I think that film is worth seeing. I have not seen it. I have not seen it. Uh, uh, it is uh, the, the, the way that film functions 
and you can go back and be like, whoa. Like when that when that twist moment happens, you it's not like them showing flashbacks of things that were like two seconds or before or something like that. Like the entire meaning of the film changes. Right. This is just like, oh shit. Like it felt like an oh shit moment. Like they didn't quite know where they were going and then they got there. Now I know that's not the case because of the story that that the director was telling. But because all of the tropey stuff was layered on top and because it didn't have a uh, 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 awe-inspiring moment to it uh, and didn't have any sort of art direction that made it feel special, you can't – it had nothing else to lean on. And and therefore, I, I again, I found myself – I was like, oh, that's moving and sad. But wow, this could – like in the pedigree of Pixar, I was like – this is weak sauce, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I do, I, you know, look, a, a couple of things I want to say. Uh, first off, by the way, The Book of Eli was not directed by Anton Fu, uh, Fuqua. It was directed by the Hughes brothers. I just Googled that. Oh, good. Uh, um, and then the second thing is, I think uh, even the, the thing I admired at the beginning of this movie um, that I was kind of just like, oh, you know, that's actually a, a big punt is that it is like. <laughs> You're a big it, punt. <laughs> You're a bit. It sets up this big idea of like, okay, there is a world where fantasy, uh, you know, that we understand as fantasy and magic, uh, has been usurped by technology, right? Uh, and I was like, okay, super interesting. That's, that's a, that's a big, uh, big punt right at the beginning. Think of you know the big punt that uh, Wally is. You know, this is a world in which humanity has left the Earth, and there is this one robot that is there to clean it up. Um, and I was like, okay, that's a big punt for in terms of world building. Then the big punt in the middle of, the, uh, you know, like for the setup of the story is this idea that there's this character who does not know his father, and his father uh, may have been a magician in a world where magic does no longer exist and can bring back. I was like, wow, this is really like piling on a couple of really big disparate ideas mm -hmm. right at the beginning of this movie, and it's like taking big swings on all of them, but. I have to say, I, I and and the reason I thought about Star Wars, um, uh, the Rise of the Skywalker, a lot, is you know the the sort of criticism about Rise of the Skywalker that I think is fairly leveled at that film is it's 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 ultimately a quest movie that never slows down to actually ask the question why do these people want to be on this quest? Not why are these people on this quest, but why do these people want to be on this yeah. quest? Right? And I and I think that's something that like. Uh, ultimately what a quest movie like Finding Nemo does is and Inside Out is that we do get a real clear sense throughout that movie is not that not just that these people are on a quest and that they need to do the quest but we also get a sense of like what compels them to be on this quest right? I wrote, like, what is the compelling reason I wrote down this is a movie so excited about the cool places it will go it forgets how to get there right yeah, exactly. And it forgets the reason. I think it fundamentally forgets why do these characters want to go there. And, and I think, you know, like, it's... it's. And we don't mean that literally, right? Like, yeah. we understand mm. they want to see their dad. Yeah, the, but it but the film doesn't give you the... So I think, you know, that, that coming back to Bethos, uh, which, again, I think I'm using that term incorrectly. Let's do yeah, uh, so, OnlyMoviePodcast, so, gmail.com. Yeah, write us in at OnlyMoviePodcast. But I think it's the idea that, that underlying uh, the pathetic is the sense of realism that can be played into every moment, you know? And I and I think this is a film that doesn't that isn't willing to engage with the realism to to elevate the joke beyond being just a joke. And for me for me, 
95 of this percent of this movie is just a joke to the point where both of you and I agreed we forgot the dad was in the you know we, we kind of forget that the dad is in the backseat of the car yeah um, and you know I think that I think the moment where they dance together and the dad does like a really bad dance is kind of touching but by that point it is it is kind of like Ian's laundry list of things yeah. it doesn't feel um, really earned within the world that 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 I think this film wants to set up so that we can enjoy that that last moment where Ian gives up the opportunity to see his dad. I also want to say that the the second the B the B list characters were also kind of fun. Uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus as the mom, Laurel and Octavia Spencer as the Manticore were fun, but I also feel they're like they're fun, but they're they're not. They're, there's nothing beyond them. They were wasted. No, there's nothing they were beyond wasted. the surface of them. They're wasted. Yeah. yeah. Um. And then I think we should talk about the um, the Lena Waithe character because I you know because it is something that happened with Star Wars: Rise of the Skywalker again you know like that film famously said that this is a film that has the first uh, same sex uh, uh, kiss in a in a in a Star Wars movie and the press release for uh, well it wasn't a press release but I think there was uh, character posters yeah well there was a touting of of this fact and I think it's what the reason this happens is. Um, a film like this will inject uh, uh, an underrepresented character, and that'll become a talking point on certain news outlets. So that becomes elevated to the forefront, when in fact the way in which this film uses that is 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 not sincere at all, and it is it is done in a way that makes me think about the marketing of the potential marketing of that moment more than the moment itself. And what I mean by that in rise of the Skywalker is like this idea that, you know, like it, it has the first same sex kiss between two characters in a star Wars movie is it happens entirely in the background. It is un- irrelevant to the, to the premise of the film. You can also and easily cut that shit out. And it's for easily China. cut out, which is exactly what this moment is. plays like as well. So, um, uh, I want to read you. Uh, this is uh, from uh, a website called BlackEnterprise.com, but I had seen this, uh, seen the same story floating around a number of other websites. But in the land of first, Disney has come up with another. The Pixar animated film Onward will feature Disney's first openly LGBTQ character, voiced by Master of Nuns Lena Waithe, and according to MSN Entertainment, the animated feature also stars uh, Ali Wong, Octavia Spencer, Julius. The character, a purple Cyclops off- police officer, uh, Officer Spectre, is characterized as a lesbian based on a line in the movie and that is literally it it is a line in the movie she is not central to the character this is not a film about lgbtq representation it is just a moment that happens in the backdrop now we've had this conversation where we've said sometimes what's important is is having characters just be without making a deal of it yeah i think that is true this is but this is the 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 fact that this is a story yep uh is uh, kind of invalidating to what is what is better representation where a character like that can exist fully uh, and be relevant to the story. This character is irrelevant to the story. Says one line, which says uh, you know, which suggests that they are um, LGBTQ, um, and it is it it's throwaway. You know, and you know you can watch it going. I know that if this film. Uh, has any problems getting distribution in countries that are uh, homophobic in any way, that is the line that they will just immediately excise. And they can do that easily. Whereas if the character is fully integrated in being LGBTQ in the film itself, they can't be excised. And that is the important part about representation. That just does not happen when when these stories come out. Yeah, and I would say, too, the, like, again, sort of to your, uh, uh, there was a point you made a little bit while back, the... uh, 
there there's nothing wrong and it should be done to just have characters of all um ethnicities representation you know, like uh, uh, uh orientations etc as yeah. characters in the world and yeah. that it's okay to have characters like that that are not the focus that's great that's that's the bare minimum that's like let's look at what life actually is right yeah uh so sure but if you're if that's as far as you're going to go don't make a fucking press release about it. Because like, you, you heard what I just read. It certainly sounded like a press release. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like someone just pr- just wrote that out. And-, like, and, and, and I hope that by now, whatever marketing genius came up with ta- trying to make that a talking point, like hopefully learns a bit of a lesson because it's just fucking stupid. Like it's just it's dumb on every conceivable level. It's insincere. It's insincere. It's yeah. dumb. It's not going to do like look, there's plenty of insincere things that work. <laughs> this is not one of them. So what the fuck are you doing? Like there's no point. Like I don't know. I I I'm getting sick of it. Yeah. I, I, no. So so yeah, that that certainly was a moment that just like rang, you know, and I think when we talk about where Pixar has come from to where Pixar is now obviously Pixar is part of the the mouse of the, the house of the mouse um and and you know like what does that mean uh in terms of being uh more and instead of being a kind of industry leaders in their field that set the tone for the way movies are told when you stop being a leader and start being a follower of things that you might have done in the past it does feel disappointing despite the fact that this film is well put together yep well executed for many of the positive reviews that I've read about it. Those moments are cathartic. They actually do land for me. This is um, kind of like how I feel about cars in many ways, which is that it is, it is uh, average in a sea of exceptional. I think cars yeah. is more emotionally real than this movie. Potentially, potentially. Yeah. I, I whatever floats your boat, but, but yeah. what I mean is there is that the problem isn't cars itself. The, the, the issue is the, the sea that this film comes from. And, you know, like the, the, the pool of movies that this film comes from. Yeah. Well, and, let me and, just say, I'm glad that the Avengers saga that I was uh, really weighted in uh, and put a lot of stuff behind managed to get out of this gate before the, what I would start to be considered the beginning of the downturn of this giant monolith. For, for all my uh, qualms about the Avengers, I think they finished on a very, very strong note. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. And I know that they're going to keep going, and that's fine, mm-hmm. but uh, I it just leaves me with very little, outside of Taika's uh, Love and Thunder, yeah. I have very little faith uh, in in this, in this that sort of whole thing moving forward as, 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 as a cohesive whole that it was before. Um, right. Anyway. Well, the, like, the sentiment echoed both in uh, the Dark Knight Return, oh, the Dark Knight, which was that: do you uh, do you live long enough to see yourself uh, uh, be become you die the, the hero or live long enough to see yourself become yeah, yeah. the villain? Yeah, I, I think I think that is the 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 sort of overall sentiment that we're kind of talking about here, which is that the longer things propagate, the the more in which the opportunity for um, uh, I guess. Uh, this will sound harsh than I mean intended to be, but mediocrity kind of becomes a, a factor because we we all live upon a bell curve in some way, uh, however problematic the bell curve is. Um, but but I think the 
the so so I am still though I am still excited to see um, Pete Doctor's next film uh, Soul because I was so excited and so taken by what he did with Inside Out that I'm really curious to see what he does with basically a similar conceit but with something a little bit more uh, ephemeral. Yeah. Um, not to say that uh, your emotions aren't, aren't ephemeral as they are, um, but but you know so I still think there's I still think there's greatness and there's potential and I think this movie is totally fine. But yeah. did not land for me. It's interesting. I, I was doing some research for some extra credit stuff. And uh, are you familiar with with Dunning Kruger? Yeah, the Dunning Kruger effect, which is uh, the the idea that the the dumbest person in the room believes that they are the smartest. And and I think there's something because uh, as we know, uh, corporations are people. Um, <laughs> so there's something uh, there's something that's ringing true about the latest servings. Um, from the mouse lately and maybe it's just a phase maybe there'll be something but i don't know i don't know i don't i don't know if the dunning kruger effect is kind of uh it, i'm stretching the exact it, way but to... there is something there is like because that's what this is right you're becoming so big and but, you're, and but you're... they're not dumb and they're well, not on, incompetent which is now, what the dunning kruger effect is talking about but i i understand i'm stretching the meaning but follow yeah. me down the rabbit hole because i guess will be my final point the if in the case of this uh, phenomenon, the dumbest person feeling like they're the smartest in the room because they're the least, you know, they have the least amount of data or the least amount of education or whatever you want to sort of put into that wheelhouse. A, a corporation like Disney is going to eventually get so big and it's already kind of there that in order to maintain uh, profitability and and sort of market share value. It's going to have to abandon certain things. I'm not saying their business model is dumb. Of course it's not. But, for instance, it's it's going to start sacrificing things like like meaningful, like, like Finding Nemo, like Toy Story, like, you know, all of these things. And it's going to think that it doesn't matter. And, think, on, think, and on certain levels it will. And, certain, and again, I understand I'm stretching it. I was trying to make a connection and it doesn't 100% fit. I'm like putting some Duplos and some Legos together. But yeah. um, it just got me thinking about like what is that effect when you, a company, are like when you get so big, when, when you become president of the universe and no one can tell you no and you think you're the smartest, that you think you know what's best for the, the, the medium or whatever you're doing and you actually don't. I I uh I think the better uh for me the better case study is Finding Nemo to Finding Dory, which is that Finding Dory, and, and I this is not new by the way you know like people the 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 wrong lessons are learned from the successes of you know from our early successes yeah and uh at, at all times you know and and um it's because uh, as human beings we are prone to try and repeat successes without uh, really understanding the <laughs> novelty that made those successes real evolution and that, baby and that that is you know that is uh, why we have a thousand sequels uh, instead of originality because it's easier to do that than it is to uh, than it is to come up with something original. I think that this film is actually aiming for something original. I think this film is is trying to to take the mold that has been built up by the chase and the chase movies of uh, previous Pixar movies and do something interesting and new with it. I think it forgets the primary lesson of those films, which is to pause and mine the depths of the characters 
that are on those journeys. Yeah. And and it's a shame to me because I can see, you know, like Honey Boy, like The Way Back, uh, I can see... I can see the like like it's like looking at a math equation. You can see the workings, and the working is correct, but the result is one degree off. I'm with you and on it, the way back. I yeah. disagree on Honey Boy. You can go listen to those course, two podcasts. Um, but as we as we've discussed already, I might have uh, psychosomatic coronavirus at this point. Very strange. Don't don't <laughs> get near Shahir's brain. This has been the only podcast about the film Onward. Shahir, when you are not Jumping in the back of your uh, focus group tested van uh, to go on an adventure that you know will please the shareholders. Where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me at my website, www.shahirdowd.com. That's S-H-A-H-I-R-D-A-U-D. Matt, when you are rolling a 20-sided die to determine what your next move will be, where can people find you? You can catch me rolling that 20s all Day over at uh, my website, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram or PSN. And, of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over on Extra Credits. Uh, this week, we dropped a couple things as a one-off on Ibn Fadlan and their account of the first Viking funeral, which is an extra history one. It's, it's a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, thing. Uh, someone who's been on the show, Jack, um, uh, yeah. is wrote that one. It's excellent. Uh, is it? Was there an arrow into the into the uh, the boat? An arrow in the into the boat? No, 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 no. They drug the boat on land. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, and then uh, the... I've been lied to by. <laughs> but Viking stuff is interesting. We actually did a Viking expansion series. is very good too. And then we just did the uh, the mythology behind Easter eggs, because um, oh. tis the season. So tis check the out season. those. Although we won't be uh, we won't be out hunting Easter eggs this. You got to hide them in the apartment. Yeah, uh, which is uh, oh, do you, so this is. <laughs> I have a secret stash of Oreos <laughs> in my apartment, and my you know because we don't want to give my kid too many treats. Sure. And my kid is starting to figure out where they that that I have the secret stash of Oreos because he's always asking me why do you smell like Oreos right now? You say I've it's a cologne. Figure, <laughs> I've got to figure out a way to to either find a new secret hiding space or come up with better lies. Or brush uh, your teeth, man. <laughs> that takes too much effort with all this hand washing who's got time to brush their teeth it, it, listen teeth brushing is the hand washing of your mouth so uh you can take that one to the bank we'll be back next week um with something hopefully I, i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna push for us to do this random 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 the most random ass movie i watched that we've it ever done so we uh, can uh so i i have not revisited i revisited it uh last year so i'm curious to to, I just kind of threw it out there as a potential, but uh, I will uh, put it out on Twitter and uh, whatever our social media uh, platforms are and uh, and see what the response is. But I, I think we're going to do it. I think yeah. we're going to try it. Let's try it. Let's try a bunch of different stuff. Thank you so yeah. much for listening. Please uh, tell a friend, leave us stars, do all the things we ask you to do because you're wonderful. I hope you're also staying safe and clean. Uh, so safe, so clean. Yeah. Uh, and we'll so talk to you. So clean? Yeah. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Onward! Bye.